Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Greetings, CBD Junkie podcast fam. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we're joined by Dr. Harry Mohan. He completed his BDS at Melbourne in 2008 before commencing work with the Royal Australian Air Force and then transitioned to private dental practice in the Blue Mountains in the New South Wales Central Coast. He later completed his Declin Dent in endodontics at Melbourne in 2015. He worked in Sydney in a group specialist endodontic practice before opening up his own practice in Shell Harbour in 2016 and then a second location in Gregory Hill in the southwestern Sydney in 2021. Dr. Harry Mohan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lawrence, and thanks for having me on. So before we you know, dive into you, know, you being a specialist, you're a general practice working with the Air Force. So where did your CPD journey or dental journey start? Um, yeah, well, that's right where it started. So I, um, I took an Air Force scholarship when I was in my second last year of uni. I did a five-year program at Melbourne. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in the fourth year, I, I took that scholarship on. Um, and then when I graduated, jumped straight into the Air Force as a dental officer. Um, that was fantastic. Like, did, you know, the full four months military training and then posted to an Air Force base in Adelaide and then another one in Sydney. Uh, but the thing there is it's really structured mentoring within the Air Force, uh, particularly for the dental category even, like, You've got a senior dental officer who mentors you. Then within that category, they expect you to do, you know, certain things to progress to the next level. Um, so, you know, they expect you to either sit your um, fellowship exams for the RACDS or you can do a, um, a grad dip in, in sedation or, or oral surgery or something like that. And that they want you to meet those milestones wow. um, as part of your progression. So that's where it all started, the CPD journey. Um, and then on top of that, I think the mentoring, you know, you had specialists visiting the Air Force base once a week. So you had specialists in the reserves. So we had, um, you know, specialist prosthodontists, periodontists, um, Fax. they're all reservists and they come on base and they treat the base patients for the specialist care. But because you're, you know, a, dental, uh, a member of the Air Force and you're, you're on a fixed salaries, you know, it's easy to just block a day off. There's no pressure to, you know, meet commission or goals in, in that sense. So you just block a day off, sit in with the specialist, watch for the whole day. You know, if you've got a case that you've referred, you just watch that case and they sort of walk you through it step by step. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't like CPD, like going to courses and sitting down for a day, but it was mentoring. That was really the journey that that was there for the Air Force. Yeah, um, I mean that's so, even more crucial because, like, you know, people can talk about things, but like to see them actually do it and apply it is like another level. Yeah, and then to have that applied to your own case, and for them to be like, okay, well, you know, walk you through from diagnosis to the whole treatment steps, one, two, three, all the way through, was fantastic. So that's where it all started. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that, yeah, they really encourage you to kind of do the primaries and the fellowship and all of that. Like, I would have imagined they would have kind of kept you within the realm of just general dentistry as a dental officer. 
Um, yeah, I don't know what the rationale was, but I guess they just saw value. Like, you know, this is what we want our people to be better. Um, we want them to get better and better as they progress. And then once they progress to a certain point, they're going to have to mentor the next group. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what the thinking was, but I certainly agree with it. And I certainly benefited from it. Right, um, yeah. So, yeah. It might just be like, you know, upskilling and trying to getting a holistic idea and understanding it to a deeper depth, maybe. Yeah, that's right. I think, and also retention. Yeah. So I think, you know, because you can only do that after you've been in a couple of years, then you get to do the next level. So I guess as a me me means of retaining people in, in the workforce as well, it's, it's a good incentive. Yeah, because like, like you said, you took on the, um, the, the, um, the scholarship in your second year. So it would have been one plus that, but you stayed on for an extra year to... Uh, yeah, so I know, no, I, I did my... Um, whole program. Then I went into specialist uh, to private practice after that. Yeah. So how's that? Yeah. That, so that was a big change. I mean, because when you go from Air Force to private practice, like it's so many things you got to start from scratch. Like hadn't treated any kids for starters. So <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you're like dealing with six, seven year olds and trying to keep them calm. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. And then, of course, you know, Air Force patients don't have to pay for anything. So then you've, you've got to hold, meet that whole side of like communication and, and presenting treatment plans and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then in the Air Force, it's like, so it's so out of the real world. Like there's this thing <laughs> called toothbrush parade where right. if someone's not brushing their teeth, you can compel them to come to your office every morning and brush their teeth in front of you no. before they go to work. So like, you know, all those things, it's not real real world scenario so when you when you put into private practice it was a big learning curve yeah um but again i was lucky i worked in two i worked in three practices actually i worked in sydney at pacific smiles group i worked at, in um the central coast in womberall with uh, neil tudnam and then i worked in um in uh the blue mountains yes. um with tony Eunice. and so i was doing two days two days two days i was working six days a week um, and I got to work in different demographics. I had different mentors, um, you know, different practice scenarios, uh, different equipment at each practice. So yes. in that sense, not being in just one place, I, I got to really experience a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that, that was, that was, yeah, it was the next step, wasn't it? So just to get into, into private practice and sort of understand like, more real world dentistry, I guess. Yeah. Was that yeah. something that you planned? Like you planned that I want to work in like part-time as opposed to just solely being full-time at one place? Or is that just how it all kind of fell into place? Um, I think it was, yeah, I can't really remember how much thought I put into that. Yeah. Um, but it just sort of played out really well. Yeah. Um, and it might've been even that I, I sort of started in one place thinking, okay, if this gets busy, you know, I'll, I'll um, Take move up days. to the next level. Yeah. Um, I think minimum you would have to work two days. I think one day is really hard yeah. to f build a book um, because even like when you're working one day a week, if it happens to be a Tuesday and you do a consult and they're like, oh, yeah, but I can't work, come on Tuesdays, well, then all of a sudden, you know, uh. it just becomes a nightmare. So I think minimum two days a week you want to be somewhere. Um, and also that way you get continuity with your staff as well. Because one thing I found now in particular is, you know, I invest so much time training my staff up, um, getting them to a point where they are integral to my, to my practice. 
that if I didn't have that continuity now, like if I was doing two days or one day, one day, one day, one day, yeah. I would just make my work so much less enjoyable, yeah. um, not to mention less efficient. Yeah. Um, so I think you want to do minimum two days mm. and it just worked out really well. And I was happy working six days a week at that age. Yes. Um, now, hell no, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then for sure. Still a hustler. But like, I mean, these practices aren't close by to each other. They're like quite far away from each other. So yeah, yeah. how is that for you? Cause you've been traveling like, you know, nonstop. Yeah. I mean, living in Sydney, you could travel five kilometers at some days. It'll take you one hour. <laughs> So yeah, that's right. Uh, um, those days, yeah, I was traveling hour and a half each way to the central coast into the Blue Mountains, but it was worth it for the. I just enjoyed the work. Um, back then, you know, I didn't really care. Stopping in the cars, listening to the radio. Yeah, and all my mates were doing the same thing. Even like I graduated in Melbourne, so my mates were still based in Melbourne, but they were all doing the same thing, like driving. So we would all just get on the phone to each other and just have a chat in the morning. <laughs> Uh, and in then, the bumper the bumper traffic yeah that's it but i don't know i think if the work's enjoyable even now like my shell harbor practice because of my wife's work i don't actually live near my practice uh, my yeah. wife works in sydney at a hospital here so i drive an hour and a half to work but if the job's right if the environment's good the team's good the patients are you know really pleasant i think it's worth it you know I mean, yeah yeah, it's, it's very few people, I think, who can live right next to where they want to, who want to live and work in the same place. It doesn't always match up that way, particularly in dentistry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's something I've just gotten used to and I, I still enjoy. Fair enough. So then, obviously, you were doing the, you were in the Air Force and you were doing, like, the program that had structured learning, but then you came out, you, you came out and you're in private now. So how are you kind of deciding what you're going to pick and choose? I mean, you mentioned briefly, like, Talking to patients, communication was one of the things that, you know, you felt like, oh, wow, like this is a, a new leap. I mean, yeah, where did you go from there? Yeah, so at that point, I was four years out. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but like I've, I still felt like I was just, I wasn't great at anything. I was yeah. decent at a lot of things, but I yeah. wasn't like, I still found a lot of things stressful, Yeah. like indirect restorations, you know, when that came back from the lab and it came time to cement it, I was always so stressed whether it would go, like whether it would seat and, you know, and then having to problem solve why isn't it seating the way yeah. I, what was it the impression? Was it the, you know, this, that, and the other. And so I just thought, you know, I got to learn so much. So yeah. I, I just tried to do all different sorts of courses. Like even though I was interested in endo already, I didn't just do endo course. Like I was doing fixed pros. I was doing um, direct restorations. I was doing endo. I was a member of my local study group with ADA New South Wales. Um, yeah. So that was the one near where I lived. So I was going to the Inner West group, uh, which Steve Harlem was heading up at the time. It still does, I think. Yeah. Um, I was in the ASE just as a, as a member. So I was attending ASE meetings. Um, so I was still, even though I was four years out, like that's, I still considered myself very much a novice. So still wanted to just get that full breadth yeah. of learning. Um, and so that, so I was, I wasn't really that discerning. I was just trying to just whatever was coming up on yeah. a day, preferably that I wasn't working <laughs> and preferably within my budget. Yeah. I was like, all right, let's just go under that. Um, and back then there wasn't the like online learning as much. Yeah. I mean, there was Spear and a few other things mm -hmm. had, had, had started, but 
it wasn't like it is now where, you know, there's so many courses available online that you could log into across the world. Yeah. Um, so back then I was just, you know, anything. And sometimes I'd try and do a sneaky holiday, like duck down to Melbourne, do a course, catch up with friends, come back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a bit of that went on as well. Um, but I, I was just really at that stage, just trying to just go full breath. Anything I can get my hands on, I'll, I'll, I'll do it at that stage. Right. So like, I mean, how did you pick it? Like, did you call up friends or like you're hearing about reviews about a particular course, the boss was recommending some courses? So even like, then, yeah, like... this is like pre DPR, right? Yeah. So this is like, there's no, there's no real communication within the, within the whole, um, profession Maybe. yet yeah, yeah. you know like it's it's more just mates oh my mate did this all right yeah or you know you get a call from a mate hey i'm flying up to gold coast to do this course you want to come you're like oh that sounds fun yeah you know hang out with my friend go to this conference have a little holiday so yeah. that was kind of what it was at the time fair enough and then yeah i mean because you're working six days so i mean how did you find time yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, just where you could um, by that point I had, that was a year that I applied as well to the program. Um, and I kind of had it in my head that I had to save up some money because I knew that during the program, I didn't want to, I'd spoken to a few friends who'd done other specialist programs and they said, you know, you do need some savings. You, you don't want to be financially stressed on top of all the other stress that's going to come if you get in. Mm -hmm. And so I was just planning, like if, whether I did or didn't get in, I just thought better to have some money saved up. So I was working, yeah, pretty flat out six days. And then, yeah, just if I saw something that was worth it, I would just take a day off and, and, and do the course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't easy, but I think, you know, you just manage your own time accordingly. Yeah. So during this time, like, obviously you're, you're kind of planning the seeds. You, you sign up for the MNES Society study club. So you kind of have, you, you know, you're kind of interested and you're kind of working your way there. Are you doing a lot more like endo courses as well? And you're thinking like, actually, I want to take it to the next level. Like at what point are you thinking I want to specialize and, you know, this is actually something I want to commit to? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was partly because I've been watching all these specialists in the Air Force and I'd seen these guys like really good at their field. Mm. Just, you know, they just know how to do X, Y, Z. They nailed it. And I'm there just thinking, oh, I'm okay at a lot of things, but I would like to be like that. I'd like to just be good at, at this thing. And I knew Endo was something that I felt really interesting, really challenging. Um, I look back now and I, I realize how little I knew at the time, right? But yeah. at the time I was thinking, oh, yeah, I really enjoy this. this is, each case is a challenge. And so I, I, we didn't have any visiting endodontists in the Air Force, but I actually organized with an endodontist who we were referring cases to. Um, David Barnard in Castle Hill. Yeah. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, do you mind if I come? And he was so generous with his time. He was like, yeah, turn up, spend the day. So I went a couple of times and man, that was an eye-opening experience. <laughs> I was like, this guy's endodontics and my endodontics is like so far removed from one another. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, because when I went through undergraduate, we weren't taught rotary instrumentation. We were taught it in a preclinical lab, but we didn't have... We didn't use it consistently in um, cl uh, in clinical in clinical teaching. Yes, in undergraduate level, we were hand file step back technique, and so you turn up at this guy's practice, and David, who is a whiz, uh, you know, just to watch him work, I, it was a real eye opener, and that was pretty much one of the moments where I thought, you know what, if I can, 
I'm going to try and, and get into the program uh, and see if I can do it. Um, and I did another a CPD course, um, hands-on day course with Professor Parashos, who's the, um, who ended up being my mentor at Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and just to see the way he worked, the way he thinks about cases um, and the way he communicated it, I really thought did that, if I can, that's the program I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did apply to multiple programs in the end. Yeah, but that, that was sort of the point where I decided, yeah, let's, let's try and make this happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How did you, how was that specialist journey? Was it pretty straightforward? Like you got in within the first year of applying or was it kind of like you had to come back a few times or. Um, So I was very lucky. I got in on my first attempt, Um, but I was ready to, you know, it's a big decision, right? Yeah. But at that age, I was single. I was young. I was (laughs) like ready. I'll travel anywhere. I'll do any program. Um, There were fewer programs at that time. Like UQ now has a program. There wasn't one then. I think yeah. Gold Coast just started a program and there wasn't one then. So back then it was either Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth or New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, I threw my hat in the ring for all of them. And luckily, you know. You got into Melbourne, like where you graduated from and all your mates are at. Yeah, oh, that was so to get in there and, and to be like, oh, because I, I had so, so many great memories from Melbourne University and living in Melbourne. So to go back there was fantastic. So, yeah, I was fortunate to get in on my first attempt, yeah. Hey, guys, just dropping in to let you know how your CPD can make a difference. On September the 17th, Dr. Harry Mohan and a team of five other specialists are banding together to run a charity fundraising CPD. That's Dental Aid 22, CPD for a cause, where 100% of your registration fee goes to the food's security for vulnerable families in Sri Lanka, a country who's at the brink of economic catastrophe. You can book your tickets at cpdjunkie.com.au. So go on, make a difference. So then how did you find the the specialist program when you finally got in? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's it's a punish. It's like, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But at the same time, it's so many great memories as well. Like, so many good friendships came out of that time. I met my wife um, while I was living in Melbourne at the time. And yeah, so, you know, like it, it was a bit of a work hard, play hard mentality going on yeah. back then. So you'd spend really long hours at the, at the dental hospital. Um, you know, you'd be there t- treating patients. Then you'd have to do your research. Then you'd have to do your, like, we had to write seminars on various topics and each seminar was, it was expected to be about 20 to 25 pages. Wow. But then my classmate, Theo, I don't know if you know Theo Chan, he started writing 100-page seminars. So then the rest of us were like, dude, you're ruining this for everyone. So then we all had to like up our game a little bit. So you know, you'd spent hours at uni uh, writing these lengthy seminars, um, just trying to go through all the literature. Um, you'd have to write up your cases and justify why you did you know, whatever you did for each case. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, you're, you're there to all hours, but other people are there with you and you're mm. talking about things and not just within your discipline, like there were ortho guys and perio guys and, and uh, pros. And so we would all get to talk to them about what they're doing and it's just a shared experience. And so like anything that can be a bit of a challenge, if you get to share it with someone, it does become quite 
rewarding and enjoyable mm, like a collegial kind of experience yeah exactly right that's yeah. exactly right yeah. i mean like are you working at this time like because some people talk about how when they're specializing they might pick up a day on the weekend just to kind of work as well to kind of yeah. balance it out like how are you finding it so we had to work as part of the program through um, the primary care service of the hospital so the mm. emergency service the, the the idea being that you would see pulpitis you would see trauma and you would have to deal with it firsthand um and so that's after hours so that's in the evenings and on weekends so and there's a there was a expectation that you would do x number of evening shifts and x number of weekend shifts or whatever it was and that was actually a really you know really valuable experience because in in practice you don't always get to see the trauma firsthand and then so to 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 see them from the minute they had the injury and then to manage them ongoing for a year thereafter or two years thereafter and see that full progression, mm. uh, that was really valuable experience. Um, and then outside of that, the rule was you weren't meant to work. Yeah. But everyone worked on the DL, but you weren't <laughs> meant to. Um, and so, yeah, I had like a job in, um, I worked in Collins Street NIB for a little bit in first year. Um, and then I worked in an, another lovely practice in, um, in Fitzroy, I think, mm, or okay. Sydney Road um, for a little while, um, where that was a bit later on and they just asked me to do their um, endodontic cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was nice too as well. Yeah, but, but you, you didn't want to have, again, like if you, for anyone planning to do or thinking to do specialist training, you, you, you want to have enough money saved up where you don't need to do that because... If you, if you don't need to spend your time there, you can do so much better things with your time during the program, yeah. Mm. Is that what you're seeing with like other colleagues who had saved up and didn't have to work versus when you had to work? Is that what you're saying? Or um, I think, to be honest, we all ended up working a little bit here and there. But if you didn't have to, I mean, even just catching a few extra Zs or just, you know, <laughs> just being able to do something that, just switch off for a bit would have been fantastic. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. how did you tackle it during this time as well? Because like you said, you met your partner during this time. You're busy. You're working. You're, you're studying late. Like, how's life happening? Uh, yeah, it, it sort of goes on, I guess. I mean, I couldn't even imagine how some of my um, classmates who had, like, spouse and children, well, I don't know how they did it. That's beyond me to think now. Yeah. Um, but I was a bit younger. I was, I got in in 2013, so I was 27. Um, and yeah, my, my um, girlfriend, our wife at the time, she was so supportive. Um, like I remember <laughs> she was not in dentistry um, and she came in and like helped me scrape the PDL off extracted bovine teeth for my research. And stuff. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, you, you sort of get some. Like, that's the friends. woman. That's the woman. <laughs> <laughs> your friends and family um and uh, yeah it's it's as i said it's 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 adversity but it's a shared experience with with the people going through it with you in the in the classroom and also outside the classroom so my roommates had a great old time and yeah it was good it was good (laughs) so okay now you're finishing up right so you decide to come back to sydney is that what happens at this point yeah i mean that was a big decision and uh I won't name any names, but people were like really saying, oh, you know, there's not much work. Throughout the program, people were always saying, oh, you know, there's not much work. There's not much work. It's a bit hard um, to find work, in, in particularly in Melbourne. They'll say, oh, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And um, a couple of people that, that 
graduated before me also went into state maybe for that reason i don't know uh and so i just sort of had it in my head that there wasn't any work in melbourne and having grown up in sydney i thought you know it'd be nice to go back and so in my final year i i started speaking to people in sydney um about is, is there work and um uh, dr marcus yan and dr alan nowich in in sydney endo um they said yeah but you know we'd, we'd we'd like to interview you and so i went through um an interview with the um those guys and uh yeah started work there uh, mm-hmm. and that was fantastic so yeah that it, it wasn't and then ironically at the end there was heaps of work in melbourne there's heaps <laughs> of work in Sydney. there's heaps of work everywhere so <laughs> i don't know what that was all about but i just had it in my head that oh, i'm never gonna get a job here so i head back to sydney and, and, and try my luck there yeah fair enough so, so you come back and you're working at a specialist group practice how's that fantastic um so it's strange right like so i was four years out of, den- of as a general dentist thinking mm. oh, i'm not that great at any one thing in particular i want to get great at it and then i do my masters i come back it's just being like a new grad all over again mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like the you're just starting from scratch even though you've done three years just doing one thing that first year in specialist practice the case complexity is much higher yeah um the I don't know whether this is true, but I certainly had this in my head that expectations were really high, that all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, the buck stops with you as the specialist, um, that, you know, you, you know, you've got this patient who has been sent to you and, that, you know, you got to do your, get them a result, hell mm-hmm. or high water. Um, so I was putting a lot of pressure on myself mm-hmm. and that was not going well for me. I was really stressed out, like mm-hmm. to my eyeballs. Yeah. And then, but being in a group practice was so good for that because uh, in particular, Dr. Marcus Gann, he really took me under his wing. He sort of showed me his own cases, which maybe like both the good and the bad. Mm. And so I was like seeing, oh man, this guy who's, you know, got 10 years more experience than me is still, you know, not everything goes to plan. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't solve every case. Mm-hmm. Even if you're the specialist, you know, there's some things that you need to understand that there's limitations. Mm-hmm. So to have that person to just sort of guide me through it was, it made a hell of a big difference for my mental state. Mm. And that made me enjoy my work a lot more. It really changed the way I thought about cases. Um, and also like the way I felt about my work as well. So if that being in a group practice, it was a game changer. I, I, I couldn't even imagine if I'd gone into solo practice day one, yeah. how I would have navigated. I mean, I'm sure I would have, and I know other people have. Yeah. But I think having Marcus and all the other, it was a big group at Sydney Endo. Yeah. Um, and there were two new graduates, myself and Liz, started together that year. Um, so to share those ideas, and again, it's like safety in numbers. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely it was uh, the right move. Yeah. And that, that's like, the same for a general dentist as well. You know, like the more people around you, the more people you can share your, your findings with mm-hmm. and your experience with, the better. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. I think a lot of graduates think that they can come out and they can work alone far away and, you know, that's okay. But uh, it's sometimes, yeah, like you said, when you come across tough cases, you really need to kind of... Um, get a second opinion to kind of help um, 
maybe like people think out their thoughts, like they process it a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, you said yourself like, yeah, you felt like when you're going out, you had a high expectation. How did you kind of break out of that show? Because sometimes people end up in situations where they're just thinking about themselves, but they don't think to reach out or like, unless someone, you know, asks them or, and they might be resilient to it. I mean, where are your headspace yeah. at the time? Well, I think now, particularly the way I approach things now, um, it's all about setting it up from the beginning at the consult. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I actually benefited a lot from, um, I did Mark Hassid's course, mm-hmm. um, the communication and, and case presentation course. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when you're in general or? No, nah, this is actually after I graduated. So not, not long, maybe like last two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I was the only specialist in the room. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. Uh, because I'm, I, and, and even that course, a lot of it is, is obviously geared at general dentists. Yeah. Um, but I got heaps out of it. And um, Mark's style and, of communication really resonated with me very much, very relaxed, as he mm-hmm. says, and matter of fact, emotionless, like, you know, don't, invo- don't buy into the emotion of the situation, just say what it is, say the facts. Um, and so, Setting it up from the outset where, you know, you talk to them about failure at the consult, not failure, but, you know, we may not be able to get you the ideal outcome every time. Uh, majority of the time we can, but there's always going to be a percentage of cases where even if everything goes well, you know, we're dealing with disease here. We can't predict how it's going to respond. Mm. Um, so setting it up in that sense, both in your own head, so that you understand that, that, you know, you can't solve every problem, but also that the patient understands and accepts that and the language that you use to present that so now every every case i say you know so you have to be comfortable with a level of risk that this might not work mm. but majority of cases are going to work so if you've told them like in no uncertain terms that they have to be ready that things might not work out mm-hmm. um that really sets it up so then that way if if you do your best and things you know, just don't go the way you planned, then so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, patient understands that. Patients generally don't get upset now. They're like, yeah, you, you did say that. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, don't rush through the case, especially with endodontics. You know, you get so many opportunities to observe for healing before you finish. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the cases I, I finish when it comes to obturation, I'm already seeing radiographic healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. One, I like to do that because it gives me in the patient confidence. Yeah. Two is if I space my patients out a bit, it frees up my appointment book for new patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in endodontics, never rush. You know, don't don't feel like like yeah, there's evidence to say single visit endodontics works, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give you that. Like if you got this buffer of yeah, I can bring this patient back and just make sure it's all going well and we're all happy before we finish. Why not? Why not yeah. use that to your benefit? Like what do you got to lose there? Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the sort of things which I think just make your life a bit more predictable, your work yeah. a bit more predictable and a bit less stressful. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because when I talk to my colleagues as well, sometimes we debate about that space between that first visit and the second visit. Sometimes they're like, no, I've heard that we've got to bring him in really quickly, you know, come back in one or two weeks and try to finish it off really quickly. But to your point, like what you find is that if we can prove that there's, you know, radiographic evidence of healing, like you feel a lot more comfortable going ahead 
um, before yeah. finishing it. I mean, each case is going to be different, right? If it's sinus yes. tract, yeah. I'll leave it six to eight weeks, see the sinus tract healing. Okay, I got the tick. If it's, um, you know, radiolucency, I might leave it a bit longer, maybe 12 weeks. I'm seeing radiographic signs of healing and absence of symptoms. Wow, I'm really happy. Um, but each case is different. But you, you, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is that yeah. you have certain things that you can use to gauge like how things are heading. Mm-hmm. Why not use them? Um, so, and that just takes the stress off everyone. Mm. So you're at, this, you're at this specialist group practice. Are you moving it around multiple different locations? Uh, yep, so I was. So um, that group had three practices at the time in the Sydney city, in um, Bondi Junction and in Miranda. Yeah. Um, so I was living right in the city in Darlinghurst on Oxford Street, a lot of fun. Nice. Um, and yeah, could walk to the city, bus to um, Bondi and drive out to Miranda. Um, and again, like that was nice too, because each day I'd work with a different endodontist at, at the rooms. Yes. So I got to, you know, sort of like my general practice experience. I kind of did, you know, a few days with someone, a few days with another person, a few days with another person. Um, demographics very different at each place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so that, that gave me a bit of variety as well. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, like, look, things are looking pretty good at this point, but you decide at some there's, – there's the point where, you know, people start to contemplate opening up. So talk to me through that mindset because, like you said, things are doing okay at the moment. Yeah, so um, things were doing well. It wasn't um, crazy busy in my first year. Um, so I just had a, I had a friend who's an orthodontist in mm-hmm. Shell Harbour and he was like, you know, if you want, why don't you come down and do a day of fortnight here? So I ran that by my bosses and they were like, yeah, you know what, until things pick up, why don't you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that and I went down there and – I kind of had that little bit of autonomy um, and I just fell in love with the referrer base down there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like in specialist practice, one of the benefits is you get to start to communicate with your community of dentists mm-hmm. really well. Like when I was a general dentist, yeah, I was working in three locations, but aside from the dentists within my practice, maybe like one or two neighboring practices, I didn't really know anyone. Yeah. Like I didn't, didn't talk. I, I knew my mates from dental school, but yes. in my locality, I didn't really have that network. Yeah. Whereas at specialist practice, because you're working with so many re- referring dentists and other specialists and so on, mm-hmm. I got to really build this network of people. Um, and I just really started enjoying working with them. Lovely people down there, yourself included at one time. Um, <laughs> and it, it, I mean, I don't know if anyone listening has worked in the Illawarra, but it's a fantastic place to work. Patients are very, um, just lovely people down there. It's very relaxed. The dentists are all um, quite busy. And, and so, you know, a lot of them, they refer their cases because they're busy enough as it is. Um, and I found the work really rewarding. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of gave me this idea that, okay, yeah, I would like to work down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I transitioned over the next two years to full-time practice down there. Right. I'm look, I'm going to agree with you. Yes. You know, full disclosure to our listeners, yeah, me and Dr. Mohan, we've worked together, um, in, in the Illawarra. I've worked there whilst my time in DAPTO and, um, I a hundred percent agree with you. You know, the days that I'm down there, it's a completely different environment when I compare it to when I'm working in Sydney, like people, 
I don't know, like you just know people across the road, like you talk to them, like um, they're not you're like your competitors, you know who they are, you can speak with them, you can, um, even people in neighboring suburbs, like you just know who everyone kind of is, it's such a different like environment to when I'm back in Sydney, where like to your point, everyone's just, it's just the associates within the practice, that's pretty much your circle or your immediate close friends, like that's it. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that sort of community down there really spoke to me. Yeah. So, so things have gone great at this point. You're, you're transitioning full time to um, the Shell Harbour practice, um, and at this point, you're starting to think about Gregory Hills. At what point does Gregory Hills kind of come about? Uh, yeah. So there was a few um, thoughts that went into that. Um, one was that I really wanted. I was lonely. <laughs> I really wanted someone to work with me. Yeah. Um, and as much as I love working in the Illawarra, it is it, it is and has proven difficult to attract talent um, mm-hmm. because I guess with specialist uh, clinicians, there's not that many of us. <laughs> yeah. And so most people want to live in, in Sydney mm-hmm. um, or a major capital centre, Yeah. Um, you know, no traffic, cheap houses, and all that. Might change now. Most people want to live in, in major cities. And yeah. so I thought it would make sense to have something a bit closer to a, a major se- centre. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory Hills is in southwest Sydney, where there historically has been no um, other specialist endodontist there. And so it's a growing area which needed, uh, which was in need of specialist. Um, practice mm. and it linked up with the Illawarra in that it's all in that sort of south and southwest corridor yeah. and I was already getting a number of patients from um, the southern highlands barrel area yeah so it, it was just the next logical step for me mm. to do that and so um, I actually had spoken with now my colleague Aaron um, who while he was in his training program Mm. And he was he was keen to join me, and and so we had that discussion that you know would that sort of work for you, and it did, um, and that sort of all tied in together. So yeah, that that was the the next step. Right. I mean, a lot of graduates as well around the four five year mark, we find start to contemplate about you know practice ownership, being a specialist, being a super GP. You know, you've kind of gone through like different parts of that during your life, but um. Would you say you've had some of those thoughts about practice ownership maybe earlier on when you were still a general dentist or was always being a specialist? I mean, or thoughts about being just a super GP as opposed to specializing? Like, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, I certainly did. Um, I had all the way through, I've had, I guess, people a few years ahead of me or people going through it with me at the same time. So my classmates or um, friends, um, so there's an ortho- orthodontist, Dinesh, who I'm very close friends with, um, who sort of just followed what they were doing and sort of observed what they were doing. And so he'd gone down the specialist practice pathway. Um, and then a couple of my classmates had gone into the ownership pathway. Um, and so both of the options sort of spoke to me mm-hmm. and then seemed attractive. But it comes back to where I was earlier, where I still didn't feel like I was a gunner any one thing mm-hmm. and that sort of I, I still wanted to be good at at what I was doing like really good at what I was doing mm-hmm. um not that I'm not still learning now <laughs> I'm still like you know I'm still improving my work year on year on year yeah. but 
I don't think that ownership would have given me that. I mean, it would have, but it wouldn't have fast-tracked me to that. I still would have had to go through all the hurdles of, um, and hats off to general dentists who, you know, do constantly work at every part of their work until they're, you know, at that level. Yeah. Um, but then on top of that, I would have had ownership as well. So it, it, I just thought this worked for me better. Mm-hmm. To go down the specialist route first and then uh, going through that experience before opening up. Yeah. And even like ownership of specialist practice, I didn't contemplate it straight up. Mm-hmm. Like I worked as a specialist for a bit and then wanted to understand the market, wanted to understand the risk and then went into the ownership side. Mm-hmm. And like whilst I share a lot of the difficulties that general practice owners would share, um, I also avoid a lot of the difficulties that general practice owners would share in that there aren't that many endodontists. So I'm fortunate in the sense that, in, in that sense. So if I position myself well, there should be enough work for, for myself yeah. and, and others that work with me. Kind of That's right. That. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you have days where you think back, oh, I just wish I could be just as, you know, a general dentist with a special interest in endodontics? Um, <laughs> not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, yes, there are days that are super stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are days where the cases just don't go to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I do enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, there is a satisfaction in in knowing that I'm getting better and better and better at this one field and yeah. that I feel feeling more comfortable there. Um, and even when I graduated, my boss at the time, Alan said, you know, first four years, you're still learning. And then after four years, you start to feel confident that almost every case that comes through the door, you'll be ready for it. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm at uh, year six um, and I'm, that's how I kind of feel like, yeah. you know, most of the cases that come through the door, I'm pretty confident, but at the same time, still learning. So I'm still like me and my endo classmates are in like WhatsApp groups and we, you know, throw cases out at each other and ask questions or like, I still, um, listen to podcasts. I still follow other endodontists online and see what their cases are and see, oh, well, okay. Yeah. They're doing something a little bit different or I try and attend courses in that sense too. And then even within dentistry, like general dentistry, I'm still trying to learn more there because I can't just cubbyhole myself into endodontics Mm -hmm. because my patients have other needs, you know, like, so let's say, you know, they ask me questions. I need to be able to answer them accurately. So like if it's a case where the tooth can't be or isn't appropriate to, to, to treat, and they're going to go down replacement options. I need to have a good understanding of that. Or especially now I'm finding a lot more cases where there's a bit of overlap between TMD, bruxism and their endodontic needs. So that's where I try, I'm trying to now focus my learning down that pathway. Um, And then even within endodontics, we're shifting so much. So it's like, um, you know, there's all sorts of changes afoot in endodontics, which I try and keep abreast of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a big group in the, in the United States, um, or it's a global group really called TDO, um, group where I, I try and keep abreast of what's going on there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant, constant learning. Yeah. Amongst the, all the business that's kind of all happening. So yeah. I mean, how do you, so you mentioned you've got, if I'm correct, 
um, just just correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry. Um, you you do hands-on courses. You've got online courses. You've got study clubs. You've got CPD. Uh, sorry, you've got podcasts. That's where you're kind of consuming, like. Because some of our listeners want to know, like, how does, when you're a specialist, how do you upscale? Like, how do you upskill? Like, how do you... Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a few things. So, I guess podcasts I like um, because I just whack it on when I'm in the car mm-hmm. and you get, like, a little tidbit mm-hmm. and you... But more importantly, you get to, like, listen to the speaker mm-hmm. and you get to sort of get a feel for their communication style, like their, the way they present, the way they think. Is it logical? You know, like I hate when guys just get up there and plug like, oh, you know, it's got to be this product. It's got to be this product. It's got to be this product. Yeah. Like I like to think about, you know, how, why are they thinking this way? You know, if they, if they, if I use some other product, could I still achieve the same thing? You know, I want to, I want to know more about the principle, not the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I use that as one thing to just sort of get a feel for who the speaker is or who the, the educator is. Yeah. Then I can sort of decide, do I want to do their course or do I want to, um, and then the same thing as I look at their, um, I'm not a big Instagram person, but I, I, I on Facebook, I see Facebook, a lot of people's yeah. stuff. Um, and so if I, and I like the commentary, like what, what's the commentary they're putting with their cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I sort of, like appreciate their way of thinking and then the way they reach the end point of each case, then I really want to sort of learn more about what that person's doing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's sort of how I, I've been approaching it, but that's only nowadays because we got all this stuff available yeah. to us. Like it's so easy to come by now. So how, what, what kind of podcasts do you listen to? Um, well, I, I listen to uh, new head start. Yeah. Yeah. Dental, dental uh, head start. Dental head start. Yep. Yep. Um, there's a guy in the UK. I've forgotten his name. Uh, and I listened to. Is it, is it Karma Dentistry? Awesome. Oh, I couldn't tell you. Sorry, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. Oh, um, was it the no? But you're saying it's endodontics related or not? Enter. No, is... no, no. So just um... all, just general. Uh, protrusive, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah that's one. Yeah, yeah, that's one. So I listened to his one. Um, I listen to Jesse Green. Um, right, you consume so yeah. a whole range of like not just den like um, endo, but like you do the whole gamut of general dentistry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's how like I I like to learn more things about non endo stuff mm-hmm. um, as well because I kind of have my endo feed that's always going. Like I get through TDO, I get the. Um, emails through my mates i get cases through my own work when i'm doing um cpds i have to then refresh myself on what's the latest um so i'm i'm constantly inundated with that yeah sort of that's always in the background and then aaron and i can discuss our own cases um so that's always happening Mm -hmm. so then for more the non-endo stuff i sort of just like to have a bit of a a breadth of 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 topics going on yeah, so are you doing CPDs and specialists in um, Australia or are you doing CPDs um, in regards to endo overseas or, or when they come here? Because one of our previous guests, um, Dr. William Hart, he's mentioned like when Yoshi came over, like he made an opportunity to attend that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yoshi's course was awesome. Um, so when they come here, I always try and, and, and do it, especially if it's a hands-on. 
Um, so one of the really good ones I enjoyed was um, Dr. Stephen, Steve Cohn, who's a local a retired endodontist. He organized for Thomas Von Arks, who is an oral surgeon, mm. but who has done a lot of work in apisectomy and root end surgery. So he had organized for him to come and do a three-day program on uh, one-day lectures, two days on cadaver heads um, at the sort of things at Royal North Shore Hospital. Man, that was awesome. That was so good. I was I was already out, been out two two three years by then as a specialist. Yeah. Um, but to have a, a a world-renowned expert who has pretty much published all the literature, not all, but a lot of the literature in that field, come share his experience see his cases because when you look at papers you only get to see a few they'll only ever put one or two pictures in each paper right. and then less rest is writing so he presented you know 20 30 odd cases and completely changed the way we think about surgery in some instances um, and then to be able to do it on cadaver heads because surgery is can be quite stressful you never know what you're going to get you could lift a flap and it's just won't stop bleeding or you know all these things so to be able to do it on a cadaver head low stress environment you know you can't get any better than that right mm. so that was that was hats off to steve for organizing that that was awesome um then there was yoshi's course i did that not long ago file fracture uh, removal that was fantastic as well and to not have to fly to japan to do it mm -hmm. you know just made it a hell of a lot easier because you know not having to take time off work and and the expense of all that you know yeah. just made it so to make that more accessible to us that was fantastic um and then recently um dr oliver pope he's heading up um, the federal asc at the moment mm -hmm. and he's been organizing some fantastic uh, overseas speakers through um, webinars and also we've got the Trans-Tasman Endodontic Congress coming up in a couple of months. So um, just taking those opportunities where they come. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of the U.S. conferences or at least one of the big U.S. conferences, the TDO meeting, they actually record all the lectures and you can right. buy them. So you pay $20 U.S. and you get each lecture. Um, so I do that as well. Um, and that's been good because I think you, you run the risk of just being stuck in your one way of practicing. Mm -hmm. um, so you always want to get influenced by other people and you should never blindly follow one person, mm -hmm. but you can always take 15% off one person, 15% off the other person and just sort of build your own way of thinking or, you know, eventually everyone's going to do things a little bit differently, but yeah. there's so much to learn from everyone. Mm, I see. Yeah. Have there been any particular courses that you've, you felt you did not implement or was not as beneficial for you at the time and you would do differently next time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, no, I, to be honest, I haven't ever gone to, oh yeah, actually, yeah, sorry. I take that back. <laughs> I've been to a couple of courses and I won't name the, the companies, but like it's definitely company plugged mm -hmm. and it's just the speaker is like hamstrung on what they can talk about. Like they have to say to do these certain ways. Yeah. And then sometimes you just think, oh man, I can't believe I took a day off to, to go to this. Um, so I have been to a couple of those, yeah. but I guess now I'm a bit more discerning. So I don't waste my time with those anymore. Mm. Um, so, and I think we've all been there. Um, and I've been to some where, 
you know, where the sponsor was given a spot to talk and they talked for like half an hour and you're just like, oh, this is like so painful um, and not evidence-based at all. Um, But I think one thing that we can do as consumers of CPD is you can give your feedback. So as a presenter of CPD, like I'm, I'm working on a new program now for a new course. And I just threw some questions out to general dentists and said, you know, like, what would you want to know? And what don't you need to know? Yeah. And so same when I went to that course and the sponsor spoke for half an hour, like I was really annoyed, but like I just politely wrote to the person who organized it and said, hey, you know, that wasn't that great. Like, you know, I know the sponsors reduced the cost of the thing, but for me, time is the most valuable thing these days. So if I'm going to take a day off, I just want the content to be really, you know, evidence-based, bias-free, and just a balanced view. Yeah. Um, and and that person, that that um, presenter, or the person who organized that came back to me and said, hey, you know what, thanks. Um, we're actually going to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm. And so I think as, as consumers of CBD, if you can do your feedback, politely, like anything, um, constructively, then it's just going to lift the standard across the board. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. So you've mentioned that you've had a lot of, you know, mentors along the way, you know, a lot of graduates want mentoring as well, but people interpret that differently, right? So some people like to be held by the hand. Some people want to be checked in once in a while, people want to be a fly on the wall and just observe. What are your thoughts on, you know, graduates looking for mentoring? Uh, yeah, so I think you've got to have mentors. Um, you want to have more than one. You want to have them um, at all different levels of experience. Mm-hmm. So like even like, I, you know, when we think mentor, we think like Master Yoda, like old guy, <laughs> done everything, teaching the new person, you know. But you can have a, like even since Aaron joined me as a, as a recent uh, specialist, you know, we, I, enjoy learning from his way of thinking and sharing ideas. And so I would, you know, if mentorship can go with anyone, you can learn anything from anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say just, you know, find anyone that seems approachable um, that you feel comfortable with because you don't want to, you know, be quaking in your boot, quivering in your boots the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be someone that you can feel comfortable around so you can actually take it all in and learn and ask questions confidently um find people that and then don't be afraid to ask like what's the worst that could happen they'll just say nah sorry too busy mm-hmm. um but i think the people you want to ask is maybe people you're already referring to that helps in your area specialists they're generally going to be pretty um, generous with their time uh, within your group your dental practice learn from them within your mates ask questions um be careful of the answers you get i guess sometimes you know can be the blind leading the blind yeah but like still it's always good to ask like yeah you know never be i guess you just want to have a a comfortable group where you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. to ask questions um and so i think if you see stuff on social media that you're curious about you know you can always private message that person um again i guarantee you'll get a response but what's the harm in asking yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit in mentorship over s- courses. I mean, you just have to do courses, I think, because that you get a lot more, you get a, a full structured 
learning set, mm-hmm. but I think you got to back it up with, with some form of mentorship. Mm. Have there been any particular struggles in your journey so far that some of our viewers might not have known about? Um, yeah, I think that first, as I said earlier, that first year out of specialist practice, that was tough. Mm. Um, I found it really stressful. Um, and I think had I not had a really, um, I guess, a, a mentor with me, a boss who really took me under their wing, mm. that would have been really hard. Yeah. So that was a really unpleasant first six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was all in my own head. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was just, I was putting way too much pressure on myself, Yeah. but I know, and I've seen it on like posted on, on our dental forums. I know other people go through the same thing Yeah. where they're just like, oh man, I'm not cutting it. Or, you know, you just down on yourself. And yeah. sometimes you even see students post it during the, during their undergraduate study or their postgraduate study or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I have been there. Yeah. And um because, I mean, like, I guess a lot of um, dentists are high achievers, right? So, you know, they're coming out at top level. Um, you went into a specialist, so you have to, you know, be at the top of your game as well and to get through that as well, you know. Um, and so we're so, like, primed for, like, needing to achieve and succeed, right, that sometimes we set that su- such a high expectation on ourselves. Um, so, and then when you come out in the real world, like, just you said everything just gets thrown at you and you always want to, uh, you know, have the win, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy. And even like just recently, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I had some time on my hands and I thought I had, I had never really posted a, a, a clinical case on social media before because I was nervous. I was like, oh, man, you're really putting yourself out there to scrutiny. Um, and so I thought, all right, I've got some time on my hands. Yeah. like gaming too much. So I'm just going to like do something constructive. So I thought, okay, I'll put a case up. And I put one up and it was um, Cal who, who's like really um, prolific on posting or commenting on, on social media. He, he kind of said something really positive and it just gave me a little bit of confidence. I like, okay, you know what? This is not so scary. Um, maybe I'll just share a bit more. And I think we all have that. You know, we should be as much as we can on these forums, just be really positive and like, not like just pat everyone on the back. Like, yeah, yeah you got to call, you'll be honest. Like yes. if someone's doing something that you think they could do better or differently. Yeah. You should say that, but just say it in a positive way as much as you can. And especially because of the internet, as we all know, is like, can be so prone to misinterpretation. I think you got to be careful what you put on there. Mm-hmm. And so and if you see someone being a bit of a, a tool, like maybe we should be calling it out because yeah. I think these, these sort of forums are really good mm-hmm. when they're good yeah. and they're terrible when they're bad. <laughs> so I think we, we you're just trying to make these places a bit more um, positive. Yeah, that's fair enough. So can you share with us what you hope your ideal clinical day or non-clinical day might look like in five years time and what you want to do to kind of get to that point? Oh man, five years time. Yeah, all right. So uh, I'll be driving to work in my uh, flying Tesla car, maybe. You know, just, <laughs> Autopilot. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I just like uh, from a ownership point of view, this is where I'm learning the most at the moment. Mm. Um, so I just want to have a really upskilled team 
who feel empowered, um, who are still there five years later, <laughs> who haven't moved on to other jobs. Yeah. Um, and where, you know, anything I can delegate, I can delegate with confidence that, you know, I've taught this team to, to work really well with me. I think that'll be lovely. Um, I'm sort of toying up with the idea of how I can best do that. You know, maybe is there some way to introduce a, a therapist into my practice who can assist me in certain ways mm-hmm. um, and improve the standard of care we're giving? Um, but let's see on that front. Um, I'd probably like to have that work-life balance and we just had a, a baby, nine-month-old now, so I'd like to be there, not at, thanks, uh, not at work too much, um, so fairly civil hours. Yes. Um, and, yeah, just a collegiate environment with, with a couple other endodontists working together. I think that's the, that's the dream. Are you looking for, are you getting consultants to kind of help you come up with it or is it more like, you know, bits and pieces that you're hearing about to kind of decide how you want to navigate that practice ownership side of things? Um, so again, same sort, sort of following the same um, approach that I've been following to my clinical practice. Mm. So I went to a, a, um, a course on, on dental practice ownership. Again, it's a bit tricky when you're at specialist level because always everything's geared at general dentists. Yeah, um, but you still a general bigger market, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. But, you know, you can still learn heaps from that. Um, but I learn a lot from US as well because mm-hmm. there's way more endodontists there. There's like 10 times the amount of endodontists in the US than there are here. Mm-hmm. So they have more practice ownership modules and so on there. Like they even have dedicated software ownership, soft, uh, practice management software for endodontists. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a bit to be learned from them and to bring their experience into Australia. Yeah. Um, but then a lot of it is, is again, just having that network having other people going through the same thing, sharing ideas, um, you know, just collaborating. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so would you share, if you could share any words of wisdom to your younger self or to a buddy young dentist, what would it be? Uh, I think it might sound like a broken record, but yeah, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, but at the same time, always critically analyze or critically assess what you're doing. Um, if you stop doing that, if you just start churning out cases and not reviewing them, for example, or, you know, you get into solo practice, but you never go to CPD, you never meet other people, you don't watch other people's cases, you're going to head, there's only one way you can head and that's down. So you really want to, you know, be aware of what's going on around you, be aware of what you're doing yourself. And just always try and see, okay, am I doing things at the, the right standard? What can I be doing better? Mm, fair enough. We, we had an opportunity to throw some, um, ask our community for questions. And um, one of our questions that we got from Dr. Ivana Timmerman was, what are your thoughts on the future direction of endo-CPD programs? And what do you think can be improved in current programs available? Oh, thanks, Ivana. Um, <laughs> So that's a good question. I think you, it's, it's, it's tricky to meet that balance between delivering the content, the, the verbal lecture content and the hands-on. Um, there's a lot going on, I think, globally in terms of these um, several weekends courses where you get to do a little bit each time. I think that's a good model. Um, but I think it's got to be approached with the right mindset. 
because you don't want to have a situation where you get shown how to do something which took, for example, me three years of postgraduate study and then six years of um, specialist practice to feel comfortable doing. Um, and you don't want to learn it in a weekend and then think, yeah, I'm ready to go. So you, as long as you approach these things with the right mindset, I don't mind that sort of level of practice, uh, level of teaching. But I also have spoken to a lot of dentists and I think a lot of them find that there's still a lot to be mastered at the um, just your bread and butter endodontics. Um, so I think, and even in my, um, own practice, when I get cases referred, I think a lot of it is missed at diagnosis. Um, so a lot of it is misdiagnosed cases where maybe the treatment's been started, tooth been extirpated, but the symptoms are still there. And you really start to question, you know, maybe we needed to take, take a step back and maybe we didn't get the diagnosis right then. Um, so I think. There's so many fundamentals, diagnosis, access, instrumentation, all these basic things we consider to be basic, mm. which are actually a lot more challenging. And even now, they're the things that I am always trying to refine my own uh, practice in. So I think there's a room for more focus to be spent on that. But the tricky part comes down to time. If it's a one-day or even a two-day course, a one-day course is really hard. You know, we, we try our best to distill it as much as we can, but there's always going to be some sort of things that we just can't cover. So whether you then follow that up with sort of, you know, being in touch with that presenter and just asking questions as you go or going back to your area of practice and being in touch with your uh, mentor in that area and just asking questions as you go, um, I think that could be something that we sort of tie it in with a long-term network. I think something like what Pat Corwell's doing um, with Endospot Academy, um, that seems to be pretty good. Um, I, I haven't been, I'm not a part of it yet, but um, as, a, as a student, but I think it's, it's something where there's that ongoing study mm-hmm. and ongoing mentorship bit by bit, and you can learn a bit from that. Yeah, that is interesting because I would say that amongst my colleagues as well like you would think the instrumentation the the diagnosis like that seems like or like uh that's i hear i think i should be finding it now like i want to hear about the other stuff the more interesting stuff that i i have to yeah, with. yeah i know i think that is maybe i'm generalizing but yeah i think you do get a bit of that um people who think oh, i'll let that at dental school like you know what more is there to really be learned yeah um but even me, like I'm changing my approach every couple of years almost. Um, and I think there's certain things that we overlook and access is one where in particular, like when I, when I teach, I spend a long time on access and canal location because that's one thing that I think most dentists tend to not get right. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that right, it just sets you up for the rest of the, the treatment so well. So if you can just nail that first bit, and obviously diagnosis even more so, because yes. you get that wrong, you you know, you you you're going wrong the whole way. That's right. Um, yeah. So I, I guess think... one of the things I would take away would be that I guess you got to do a lot of tests. You now sometimes it's not just that to TTP cold test, and then you're like, okay, we're good now. I've got the X-ray that puts it all together. But you got to do more tests to kind of confirm everything. 
That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the probabilistic nature of testing. So you know, just because EBT was positive today, you know, it doesn't mean that it's actually reflective of the pulp status inside the tooth. So, and the more tests you can combine, the more reliable the finding is versus the, the actual situation inside the tooth. Um, so you don't want to just take one test and then think, because what we often do is we see a radiograph and we think, oh yeah, it's this. And then that colors all our thinking for the rest of the diagnosis. So you want to try and approach each case with an open mind, do as much testing as you can, combine that information and then go from there. Mm. That's fair enough. Well, you know, there's so many more questions I want to ask you, Dr. Mohan, but that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you for coming on the show. If you could let the people know how they can find you or what you've kind of got going on in your life. Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks, Lawrence, for having me. Uh, it was actually, I was really stressed out about this, but actually worked really nicely. Thanks, man. Um, so, yeah, I, I post a bit of cases quite regularly, maybe like a couple of times a month on Facebook. So if you look me up, um, H Mohan Endo uh, is my like backslash H Mohan Endo. You'll get me on Facebook. Um, please don't add my personal profile because you'll just get boring pictures of like babies and cricket memes and stuff. So, um, but yeah, my professional page is where I put most of my cl clinical content. Um, yeah, doing a few. I do a few courses in New South Wales. So I do some with ADA New South Wales. Um, got one coming up with um, Dr. Jeff Young at the end of February. Um, and I'm just starting some programs um, with Henry Schein at, at their mascot training centre. Um, again, where focus is really on teaching the principles of endodontics, not necessarily the product. Um, so, yeah, that, that's coming up in March and then hope to do a few more later on in the year. Mm -hmm. um, I practice in Gregory Hills and Shell Harbour. So if you, if you happen to practice in southwest Sydney or uh, in the Illawarra, and you don't already know me, just give me a shout. Um, you're always welcome to come. Anyone is really welcome to come and watch us for a day as well. We have like a big 55-inch television that uh, streams what we're working on through the microscope onto a big monitor. Nice. Um, so you can see firsthand what we're doing, um, ask any questions you want, whatever. Um, yeah, always happy to get in touch with people in that sense. And, yeah, if you want to... Um, hit me up on, on Facebook about questions you got, please feel free to do that. And then we also have two private um, Facebook study groups, one in the Illawarra and one in Southwest Sydney. Um, again, just PM me and I'm happy to uh, invite you to those as well, um, where we sort of, I guess, just had the idea that if it was more of a closed forum, you might, people might feel more comf comfortable, um, you know, asking questions. Um, but yeah, just, open door policy kind of thing going on. So yeah, happy to help. Yeah. I, I mean, I admit I've posted on there a few times and yeah, thank you for the, the, the feedback as well. Yeah. A pleasure. All right. Yeah. Boy. So you're still waiting for that cricket century, are we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> if you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie podcast.